Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky is still out, so we've got Rhino and him uh, in for him for a while, and then Will will join us a little bit later this afternoon in the big chair. Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us on a Tuesday. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. If you are a farmer in North Mississippi, need to buy equipment for the land, maybe you're buying a new piece of property, maybe you are, oh, I don't know, um, needing to refinance an existing loan or get a production loan, check them out online, mslandbank.com. Great people to do business with. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Hey, Dad, what's up on a Tuesday? Very productive day for me. I, I got my hair. I got another haircut, and now I'm back to normal. How did you it's have not... any hair left to cut after the last one you got? Well, I, I grow hair quickly. It's part of my ethnic background. That has to do with your ethnic background. Yes, we are a very hairy people. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure that I'm going to go any farther down that road if it's all the same to you. That's fine, yeah. Rhino, have you had a uh, had a haircut since you uh, shaved it all, the beard and everything off at uh, at Palmer Home this summer? That was actually the last time a blade touched any hair follicle on me. Okay, so are you back to like a, um, a Duck Dynasty beard already? Uh, not quite. It's getting there, but the, the hair is the one that's getting the shaggiest. I might have to get a haircut before I even think about it trimming or cleaning up the beard there you go what's up rippy not much no nope. hair, no haircut no haircut for you to uh today we got a bunch to get to this afternoon cole kubelik will join us a little bit later on the farm bureau phone line we will talk with him uh, primarily about Ole miss and uh and mississippi state he was uh on the sideline for the Ole miss game against texas a&m on saturday night we'll get his thoughts on the the quarterback rotation and play calling and all of the observations that he had. We'll also talk with him about Mississippi State. And I'll be interested to uh, to hear from Cole when we talk with him. We spent a good time, a bit of time yesterday, hey, Dad, on Joe Moorhead and talking about energy and trying to kind of change the culture of this team midstream. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to hear from, from a guy who played at a high level in the SEC if that's something that's doable. At this yeah, point in the season. Yeah. That's a good question to ask because I don't know if it is or not. So, uh, you, you know, you, you got the right guy to, to talk about that with. You know, it's it, it's like when you're when you're eight games into a season or seven games into a season, at that point, is your identity set? Or yeah. can you make an adjustment on the fly? I, I don't know. I asked Joe Moorhead about that two weeks ago after the Tennessee game at the press conference on Monday. And I said, my question was a little different. I said, you know, do you reach a point, because you keep talking about we're going to fix this, we're going to fix this, do you reach a point where some things can't be fixed? They just sort of are what they are. And his answer was more about the roster. You know, you sort of you, you can't fix your roster. It, that definitely is what it is. But he said from a coaching standpoint, you don't believe there's nothing, you don't believe there's a negative thing that can't be fixed. So yeah. be interested to hear it from a former player. World Series begins tonight, games one and two in Houston before they make the switch to D.C. for games three, four, and five. I don't know that uh, that this year's World Series will be the ratings juggernaut that it could have been if, I don't know, you had the Yankees and the Dodgers or if you had, uh, I don't know, some combination of bigger market teams. But this is the World Series that we've got. The pitching matchups are so fascinating because both of these teams have really good starting pitching. What's your level of excitement going into this World Series, Rippy? 
I'm pretty excited. I mean, I you mentioned the pitching matchup. I think it'll be fun. But I mean, I'd be excited if it were. San Diego and Milwaukee? Yeah. Just because it's the World Series? I mean, it's the two best teams in baseball that don't normally play each other in the regular season. Yeah. Barring some kind of interleague deal. So, yes? Yeah. No, I, I'm with you as well. I mean, I'm going to watch it because I love baseball and I love the World Series and all that goes along with it. But I would be lying if I said that my interest level was as high to watch Houston and uh, and Washington play in, in this as if it were some other teams. And, and, hey, Dad, I know you're kind of, well, the Giants aren't in it, so you don't really care, and there's nobody to absolutely root against the Dodgers. So are you out altogether on the World Series? I don't know how much of it I'll watch, but the idea of the Nationals winning the World Series a year after losing Bryce Harper is incredibly interesting to me. I, I, I'm i a sucker for those kind of storylines that somehow a team can lose its star player and be better as a result of it sometimes, and and. So that is very interesting to me, uh, just as a, as a as a completely unattached observer. Rippy, is that an overplayed storyline, or is that one that is interesting to a big segment of the like maybe not diehard baseball population? I mean, it is, I guess, interesting to people. Clearly, it is. I do think it's sort of overplayed, and I don't think it's the case. Like, he left. They didn't have to pay him $300 million, so they spent a bunch of money on pitching and already had good younger outfielders. So, like, it wasn't this catastrophic loss that, like, it's made out to be. Like, Would they have been catastrophic the same team? loss? I don't think there was a catastrophic loss, but it's definitely he was the best player on that team. And for them to, you know, have advanced without him is, is interesting to me. Yeah, no, I got that. I'm not doubting it's an uninteresting in- storyline to like people, but I-, I don't think that's like why that happened. Like, I don't think they're okay. better because he left. Right, I agree with that. Yeah. Would this team be in this position if Bryce Harper had still been on the roster? I maybe, maybe, probably not because of the amount of money they were allotted to be able to spend on pitching in other places. But like, so who did the, who did I mean, they his add? last year? He went to his last year in Washington two. 249, 393, 496 in 159 games. He hit 34 home runs and drove in 100 RBIs. So, so who did they add directly as a result of not having to pay him? Well, most notably Patrick Corbin. Yeah. Which may be the game, he may be the game three starter, or he could potentially be the first guy out of the bullpen tonight behind Max Scherzer. Dave Martinez has not really tipped his hand on that and we'll kind of have to wait and see how it goes yeah i mean sure but i yeah i I mean that's the direct result of it i don't know i don't fair enough uh we've got updated odds for teams to make the college football playoff we'll look at those just kind of from a snapshot standpoint but my question is you know when we get into that how many teams legitimately at this point can still make the college football playoff we know Alabama undefeated. We know LSU undefeated. We know that Oklahoma's got a shot. We know Ohio State's got a shot. We know Clemson's got a shot. But beyond those five teams, when you get into the one-loss teams or you look at some of the other undefeated teams that are still out there, who's legitimately got a shot to be one of those final four teams that get, earns the four playoff spots? We'll jump into that. We'll also look at updated Heisman odds, and there is a new odds-on favorite to win that bronze statue when December rolls around. ESPN has rolled out another round of bowl projections. Are there any teams from Mississippi that are represented? The answer is yes, but how likely are those to be accurate? Um, USA Today has rolled out its coaching salary database. We see that every year. Uh, Spoiler alert, coaching salaries are bonkers at this point. And for the top 10 guys, the, the top 10 or so head coaches that are making boatloads of money, you're probably not going to get them out of their current job, whether you want to buy them out to go somewhere else or if the school that currently employs them wants to get rid of them because the buyout numbers are just absolutely astronomical. We'll look at the, uh, the coaching salary numbers from all 14 SEC teams. We'll take a peek at the top 10, which I think it's five – SEC schools pay top five, uh, top ten money, and then you've got five that are outside the top ten, uh, or, or excuse me, five that are not from the SEC, and then some others of interest. We'll look at uh, Southern Miss and 
Memphis and some of the other schools that might potentially have hot coaching candidates coming up. Pro Football Talk has got its uh, updated NFL power rankings. We'll look at some of those. We have got the Pearl River Resort pick of the day coming up this afternoon as well. Uh, New England was a winner last night. We were yeah. That was the play. It was a little bit of a hesitant play, but we went with it nonetheless. And it uh, turned out to be the right play. Kicked around we the idea hesitant. of... We were hmm? only hesitant because we were only hesitant because it was big favorite and we just felt like we were doing a chalk bet. The bet in and of, in and of itself, there was no hesitation. That was the easy play. Yeah, it made sense. I mean, that yeah. that was the the right play, I think, going in. The only question was, would the Jets play well? They did not. Sam Darnold looked absolutely lost for a big part of that game last night. So a bunch to get to this afternoon. We'll do a little bit of a World Series preview, some numbers, some thoughts on the pitching matchup. All of that when we continue with you. Just getting started on this Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Mississippi, covering your Mississippi teams with live reports from the games and practices, plus exclusive interviews with coaches, players, and legends from the past. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. comes to arts and entertainment, Mississippi is a land of legends. Now all of those legends are showcased in one place. It's all at Mississippi's arts and entertainment experience, better known as the Max in Meridian. The Max has tons of live events throughout the year, and Super Talk Mississippi is going to give you the opportunity to win tickets to some of these events each Tuesday. Go to msarts.org to learn more about the Max and be listening to Super Talk on Tuesdays. For your chance to win tickets to exclusive events at the Max in Meridian. Sports Talk Mississippi, we are glad to have you along this afternoon. Let's jump in and talk a little bit about the World Series. Game one tonight in Houston between the Houston Astros, best record in baseball. They did finish with the best record, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. By correct, like yeah. one game, I think. One or two. Anyway, it was it you had the the Astros and the Dodgers and the Yankees kind of all there together. 7.08 Central Time, first pitch. Game is on Fox tonight. Houston, the home team, and the Washington Nationals are the visiting team. For the Nationals, three-time Cy Young winner Max Scherzer will face off against Houston's Garrett Cole, who is riding a streak of 19 consecutive winning decisions. That's a pretty remarkable number. I stumbled across that stat a couple of weeks ago, and then I bumbled when I tried to go back to it, Rippy. But when you talk about winning 19 consecutive decisions, that's almost unheard of. Because something you know, you have one game where you don't pitch as well, where you don't get the run support, where something happens, and you don't get a winning decision. To have 19 of them in a row, it's hard to do. Yeah, I mean, it usually means you pitch pretty well and you've got a really good team behind you because there are a lot of pitchers on bad teams that wouldn't even come close to this no matter how well they pitch 20-something times in a row or 90 yeah. times in a row. What does that take you back to July? Give or take. That would take me a minute to do the math on that. It's close to that, though, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're talking mid-July, maybe early August, every single time that Garrett Cole stepped on the mound as a starting pitcher in his last 19 appearances. He has been the winning pitcher. Both pitchers, though, have been really good in the postseason. Max Scherzer, 2-0, a 180 ERA with 27 strikeouts and three starts plus a relief appearance. That's a total of 20 innings. In the division series against the Dodgers, he allowed one run in seven innings. Against the Cardinals in the NLCS, he took a no-hitter into the seventh inning, gave up one hit, no runs, with 11 strikeouts over seven. So pretty good stuff for Max Scherzer. On the other side, Garrett Cole has won all three of his starts in the postseason. He's allowed one run in 22 and two-thirds innings with 32 strikeouts. The, uh, the These two guys, both hard-throwing right-handers. Garrett Cole has the second-highest average fastball velocity among starting pitchers in the big leagues at 97.1 miles per hour. 
and Scherzer, I think, is fourth at like 94.9. So they can both absolutely get it done. Game two will feature Strasburg and Verlander. So when you start looking at this, Rippy, and you're saying, okay, pitching advantage goes to, who do you go to? Uh, probably slightly Houston. I mean, it depends on if you're talking about starting pitching or the pitching staff as a whole. If you're just talking about the three starters that are probably going to make the majority of the starts in this, it's close, but that's still probably Houston. And then if you add in the whole thing, it's probably Houston, and it's not as close. So with Houston, you're talking Scherzer. I'm sorry, you're talking Garrett Cole, Verlander, and Zach Greinke, I guess, is the third starter? Yeah, and then I don't know. They are Washington has a fourth that's pretty much known. Houston has one where they would have to kind of piece it together as is, which is what you almost saw before that game four got rained out. So, so in terms of Washington, five, whatever it was. Yeah, you're talking about Scherzer in game one for Washington, and then coming back with Strasburg, and then Corbin if he doesn't come in relief, and then Annabelle Sanchez would be the fourth starter, I guess, for Washington. And he's the one that carried a no hitter in Game One of the uh, the NLCS. Yeah, I Into think the, the odds inning. of Corbin starting Game Three are pretty good. I tend to agree with you. Although, let, let's say that let's say that Washington gets five and two thirds scoreless tonight from Scherzer, or he gives up a run or two, but it's a one run ball game in the sixth inning, and he's thrown a bunch of pitches. You think they're going to hand it off to the bullpen at that point, or you think they would roll the dice with Corbin? Yeah, because it's freshly. I mean, they had no one in the bullpen's pitch for a week. If there's a, if it were game two and you had one or two guys have to pitch the night before, then you might go Corbin because you don't trust the third and fourth guy or the second and third guy or the second guy on back to back days. I think in game one, it's probably less likely that would happen. I'm not saying it won't. Like it's not impossible, but I wouldn't. I would bet against it. Hey, Dad, the Astros enter this game or enter this series as the heaviest betting favorite to win the World Series since the um, Red Sox in 2007. They were minus 240. The Astros are minus 235 going into this. Nationals are a plus 195 underdog in the best of seven series. So where are you you laying your $100 bill, hey, Dad, in terms of winning the series? I mean, I, I don't see how you can go against the Astros, to be totally honest, but me being, you know, I'm going to play the uh, the eye test game here a little bit and get away from the analytics because I'm the old man in the group. Okay. Analytics? Uh, but there's something going on in Washington. I just It just feels like this is a, there's a little team of dis- destiny uh, air to them. And, uh, you know, Scherzer, uh, Scherzer and Strasburg versus Verlander and Cole, I mean, it's at an absolute worst it's a push. You know, and I agree with what Rippy's saying that Grinky is definitely the better number three starter, but I just I just feel something's going on with Washington. That they, they they they're this year's team. I'm, I'm I would take the Nats. Really? Yeah. Okay. On a value play, would you go with the I mean, Nats, there's Rippy? There's definitely value. Yeah. I would take the the Astros, but I don't think it's anything like unheard of. I mean, I think there's probably decent value in it, but I think, I think they're the biggest underdog since like the Rockies or whatever that run was in the playoffs in yeah. 2007. But I don't think the gap is that bad because that Red Sox team was a way way better than the Rockies were. Like the, I think the, I think Washington has a much better shot to win than that, despite the odds being similar. So yeah, I think it's a decent play. I mean, if you had like gun to my head, I'd probably take Houston. What um what else is important to watch in the World Series? What Houston does with the designated hitter when they go, or what they do having basically to shrink a hitter when they go to a National League ballpark, do they stick with Alvarez or do they go elsewhere and bench him? I don't really know how that's going to work. Um, aside from that, who's the most important player for both team, for each team? Is Bregman the most important player? Is it Altuve, given how hot he's been and how clutch he's been? I mean, I don't even as good and as deep as both these teams are. I'm not sure if there's just one guy that's above all else important than the other. I mean, the Astros are good because they hit you through the middle of the lineup that way, or really particularly the top. And kind of the same goes when you get to the middle of the uh, Washington lineup. So I don't really know. I mean, if you really wanted to go most important, it's probably Rendon. And then as far as the Astros, just kind of take your pick. Yeah. 
It's a tough ticket, but it's not impossible. You can get in the door tonight for $403, which is a lot of money for a ticket to a single baseball game. But I, I guess like the whole personal experience thing here, because I was keeping an eye on tickets. You know, I told you if the Yankees had, had gone to the World Series, not really sure what we would have done with the show today because I promised Obi that I would take him. So maybe I would be connected from New York right now. But you were looking at like twelve hundred bucks just to get in the door. That was for a standing room ticket in Yankee Stadium. So a little bit different market. I don't know what they'll be like when they go to uh, uh, go to Nationals Park here in a, a couple of days for the uh, third, fourth, and fifth games of the series. What's um if you were a fan, hey dad, of one of these two teams, or if it mm-hmm. was San Francisco that yeah. was in the World Series? And logistically, you could make it work out. What's mm-hmm. the number that you would be willing to pay for one ticket or a pair of tickets to get in to watch one World Series game? I would pay five hundred dollars. Okay, so that's I'm probably going to be priced out. A thousand bucks is a lot. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I don't know that I would that I would do that, but I would pay five hundred to have a bad seat to be in the stadium. Would you would you be willing to sit in a bad seat to watch it? Yeah, to be in the stadium. Yeah, as long as, as, long as I can see the field, I can be in the upper deck. That would be okay. Rippy, what's the team that that would cause you to pay big money to go watch them in the World Series? I think it's more just the event. Like if I had a decent seat, I'd like to be at the event. Like it's kind of like an NBA game for me. If you were way up at the top, I'm probably not paying five hundred bucks to do that. But like if you had like a decent seat to it, I would go. To, you know, I think regardless of who was playing, what what's the number you would pay? Probably around hey dad. What hey dad was saying five hundred might go to seven hundred, eight hundred bucks. Probably not going a grand. Just to be in the stadium, not even for a great seat. No, I'd have to be decent. I don't want to sit at the top of the top to where the guy looks like a speck. Hmm. I didn't even look to see. Uh, Rhino, what's your number? Let's say U.S. is playing really well and they're in a World Cup semifinal. What would you pay to be in the stadium? In the semifinal of World Cup, ten grand. Wow. Really? Ten grand. Yikes. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. What we're gonna do right here is go back. And now back to back to the sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. So let's get rolling. On Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi. of weeks away from the first college football playoff rankings coming out, but at least at this point, the odds makers and the poll voters do not look, at least in terms of the AP, uh, do not look at the playoff contenders in quite the same way. AP Top 25 has got Alabama number one, LSU number two. They jumped Ohio State over Clemson this week. So Ohio State at three, Clemson at four, Oklahoma at five, and then undefeated Penn State at six. A little bit different when you look at the playoff odds. This is according to Bet AG or Bet Online AG. Uh, Clemson is still the odds on favorite at two and a half to one to win the college football playoff. Alabama is next at three to one. Ohio State is four and a half to one. LSU is five to one. Oklahoma is six to one. Then you've got Georgia, who now has a loss and has fallen to number ten in the polls at fourteen to one, and undefeated Penn State at twenty to one. In terms of long shot odds. Oregon 33 to 1, they've got one loss. Auburn 50 to 1, they've got a loss. Florida 50 to 1, they've got a loss. Same thing for Wisconsin. Utah 66 to 1. Baylor, who's undefeated at 80 to 1. Same odds as Notre Dame, who's got one loss at 80 to 1. Undefeated Minnesota 100 to 1. 
One lost Texas 100 to 1, and so on. So, my question is not who would you bet on. My question is out of these teams, how many legitimately at this point of the year still have a chance to be one of the four that's in the playoffs? The, the answer on some of these is simple, right? We all agree that Clemson's still got a shot. Yeah, a great shot. Clemson is going to get in, barring an incredible upset. We all believe that Alabama very much is in the mix. But there's a little bit of a question mark there to me right now with Alabama because of the Tua Tonga-Vailoa injury. Well, don't you, part of you were saying you might believe that 12-0 Clemson gets left out in the right scenario? I don't believe that. I don't believe that either. I don't think there's any way they leave the defending national champion out if they haven't lost a game since the last time they hoisted the trophy. Okay, what would the scenario be where Clemson gets left out? Either Alabama or LSU goes completely undefeated, and they are one of the teams. Mm-hmm. Ohio State goes undefeated. They are one of the teams. Oklahoma goes undefeated. Undefeated Oklahoma would probably be in. Plus but undefeated would Clemson would be in. I, I don't think... I. Ooh. I just don't think there's a way at this point where an undefeated Clemson gets left out. I, I agree. I feel like the, the landscape has changed a little bit since we had that conversation a few weeks ago. I agree as well. Yeah. Because there's no way that both Alabama and LSU go undefeated. They play each other. Ohio State, one of those two, though, could be undefeated. Yeah. Ohio State could be undefeated. Oklahoma could be undefeated. You cannot have Penn State and Ohio State undefeated. So one of those two teams is going to have at least one loss, and then everybody else has got a loss unless you want to dip down to Baylor. Um, but if Baylor stays undefeated, Baylor and Oklahoma will play each other in the regular season. When is that game? Minnesota sitting there at 7-0, and but... They're not going to be undefeated. You're going to have a loss somewhere in that mix. So Clemson is really the only one who doesn't have any overlap and is not going to play somebody that could knock them out of the undefeated spot that is also undefeated. The game is November 16th at Baylor. Could be interesting. That's a good day of college football, as you might guess, that the middle of November. But Baylor's pretty darn good. They're good. That could be a that that that'll be a, a little bit of a hornet's nest, I think. Yeah, I'm rooting for mass chaos. The sport needs to be more interesting. I don't have an issue with that. You you look at how Baylor's gotten to the point where they are. Man, I I, I thought what they did this past Saturday was really impressive. So they beat Stephen F. Austin to start the year. They beat UTSA. They beat Rice. That's three bad teams. They beat Iowa State twenty three twenty one. That was a good win. Close win. They won at Kansas State fairly handily. They won a three-point game against Texas Tech, so that one was really tight. And then they went to Oklahoma State. I think it was Lee Sterling, as we were talking about kind of some off-the-radar games, he pointed to this one and said that he thought that Oklahoma State could win that game by 30-40. to Mm -hmm. It went the other way. It was an Mm 18-point win, 45-27 for Baylor. And you look at what's coming up for them. They got an open date this week. They've got West Virginia on Halloween night. They go to TCU. And then it's back-to-back weeks that will tell the story of the season for Baylor. Oklahoma on November 16th and Texas on November 23rd. Both of those games are in Waco. Both of those are home games for the Baylor Bears. And then they close the season out at Kansas. Who's a little more pesky than I think people thought they were going to be? Yeah. Just a touch, yeah. <laughs> All right, so, so that of these teams. That. All right, so so could be in the conversation. Ohio so Clemson, yes, Alabama, yes, Ohio State, LSU, Oklahoma. Georgia yeah, could still play its way back in. They could, but I have trouble seeing them beat 
the West champion, whoever it is. I agree. Same with Florida. I'm not entirely sure that that Georgia's going to beat Florida in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Or, will I mean, I think they should beat Auburn, but stranger things happen. Auburn is so good defensively, they could, they could bottle them up. What about Penn State? I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State, so they're out. Oregon? I saw an interesting tweet about about Oregon that's, that basically said if they don't lose another game and they don't get in, the lesson is don't schedule hard out-of-conference games. A loss to Auburn, Auburn to start the year. Since then, they've beaten Nevada, Montana, Stanford, Cal, Colorado, and Washington on the road. Yeah. Coming up, it's at Washington State. I, I'm sorry, they host Washington State this week. Then they go to Southern Cal. They've got Arizona at home. They go to Arizona State and then host Oregon State in a rivalry game on November 30th. Wouldn't be shocked if they won all of those games. Finished 11-1, and went to the Pac-12 championship game to get to 12-1. and Yeah. So very much alive in the conversation. And if they hadn't played Auburn, they had played some random, you know, cupcake team, they'd be on Eastern Illinois. Yeah, they're in. I mean, the undefeated Pac-12 champion, probably in. Well, it would have to be a Power 5 school, right? Yeah, I guess you're right, but I mean, it doesn't matter. If they they had played anybody who was not good, they would have been in much better shape. I don't even think it would have to be a Power 5 school, just a win, just an undefeated season where you won every game in your conference, you or won your conference about, championship. They already, you play an have, FCS, they already played an SEC. No, that's an SEC deal. That's not outside the SEC. No, that's an SEC. No, that, that, that's, that's an NCAA thing. You can only play, to be bowl eligible, you can only play one FCS you can only count one FCS win. Well, I mean, I threw random Eastern Illinois. I mean, they could play that's Fresno about, yeah. State. Yeah, Rippy is well actually you is what's happening right now. No, that's actually not what I was trying to do here. But, like, it would have to be someone competent. Would it not? Yeah, I don't think play, so. If, if they had played Northwestern or, you know, uh, who's no, bad no, 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 no. Let, let, let's say that they had played Colorado State, who's yeah. terrible. Fine, or yeah, they had played Fresno State, who's pretty good. Or they had played Hawaii. Just, just some random school. school. Yes. Yeah. Group of five would be fine. My point is, if they're undefeated, you're not going to knock them because you're going to well, they went undefeated in the Pac-12 and they yeah. won their title game and they're undefeated, period. Yeah. How different is this conversation if, if Seth Williams doesn't make an incredible catch there? I mean... If he drops the ball or he gets tackled at the if he gets tackled at the one, not only we're not only talking about Oregon's very much in the in the discussion to get into the playoff, but Malzahn is already sitting there with two losses and looking at LSU, Georgia, and Alabama, thinking he's probably going to get fired. Such a great throw though by Bo Nix. It was a good throw. All right. <laughs> Most people disagree on that. They say it was a bad throw. That it was I, I don't under- think it was a great. It was underthrown. Williams, it's it's more about the catch than the throw for me. So as we sit here today, Auburn's still alive, Florida's still alive. I think Wisconsin's out after the loss they had. I mean, I guess technically Utah's still alive. Baylor's still alive. Notre Dame maybe, but they need help. I mean, it's not more than about a dozen teams that even have a chance to get to those four spots. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. More coming up, Renaissance Bank Studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. Football scheduling, it's a bold new world out there. Right, remember Scott Strickland, former Mississippi State Athletics Director, now the Athletics Director at the University of Florida. Hey, Dad, what do you think of this tweet from Scott Strickland about, oh, 15 minutes ago? I think i got to delete it from our potential rundown from tomorrow. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, you know, Scott has never been a guy who's uh, not been afraid to be bold on social media. I think he uses 
social media and Twitter specifically, as well as any athletic director uh, in the game. And uh, this is, I mean, is he going to get, you know, I don't think uh, Michigan's athletic director is going to just reply directly, but I bet he gets some feelers out there from some, some different teams because of this. The tweet was this, attention ADs from the ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, or Pac-12. Gators football is looking to add additional home-and-home series against Power 5 opponents. Let's connect and schedule quality games the fans want to see. Hashtag Go Gators. I bet it works. He'll get a game. Didn't there was a, an athletic director or a coach who did this recently, and Ole Miss took him up on it for basketball, right? That's exactly the, right. It was Illinois uh, State. Illinois State. Illinois State. Yeah, they got left out of the NCAA tournament, and uh, it was told it was because he didn't play a good enough schedule. And there was a connection there, also. Yeah, because the ironic part is AK didn't even have Twitter. That's right. So he used his media relations person to do it, right? Well, yeah, sure. But, like, just you would think that would come about by some other coach being, like, you know, active on Twitter and seeing it and being like, yeah, let's play. But, like, you know. I don't remember the coach. I think AK could operate a retweet if he wanted to. I remember that the coach left Illinois State before that game was played. So it's a different guy. No, that's not true. Is that not true? No, because I did the. They came to Oxford and beat Ole Miss the next year. Did that game on television. And the the other piece of that, that that's where former Ole Miss coach Tory Ward, had, assistant coach, had been on staff, and Tory Ward is the guy that. Um, he died in a plane crash coming home from the Final Four. That's, yeah, I'm, I'm remembering this now, yeah. Yeah. That may be what I was thinking of. I don't know. So apparently Ross Bjork, when he was the AD, was the one that replied to the tweet and said, you know. Have you seen my wrestling belt? Our people will get with your people or something along those lines. Put you in the sharpshooter. Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. When you go there, you will see on the homepage, Win the Hunt of a Lifetime. What's that all about? Well, you can enter your child's name, your name, and your email address and phone number. And if you've got a child between the ages of 5 and 16, that's all you got to do. That will get them entered for the opportunity to win a Mississippi Lifetime Sportsman's License and also the choice of a duck hunt at Beaver Dam uh, from Beaver Dam Hunting Services in Tunica or a quail hunt at Prairie Wildlife in West Point or a collection of hunting apparel items and supplies. So they'll be able to choose from which one of those grand prizes and will get the Mississippi Lifetime Sportsman's License all courtesy of Mississippi Land Bank. You have until October 29th, so one week from today is the deadline for um, for you to enter this. Go to mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. How much money do SEC football coaches make? Generally speaking, we know the answer to this question. All of them, every single one of them, make more than $3 million per year. All of them. Nick Saban is the highest paid coach in the SEC. He makes $8,707,000 per year. Last year he also got an $875,000 bonus for a total compensation of $8,857,000. The maximum Amount for bonuses for Nick Saban in a given year is $1.1 million. You want to steal Nick Saban away from Alabama? Well, one, you know you're going to have to pay him about $10 million a year. But two, you're going to have to come up with $34 million on the front end to buy him out of his current contract. Big dollars. Or take his wife real estate, real estate shopping in Austin. That was a big deal for a while. Yeah, didn't quite happen, though, did it? Nick Saban's buyout, though, is almost half of Jimbo Fisher's buyout. 
That's what happens when you sign a 10-year, $75 million fully guaranteed contract. Jimbo making $7.5 million, eligible for up to $1.5 million in bonus money. He caught 250000 in bonuses last year. His buyout as of December 1st, 2019, $60,625,000. Did you see our friend Dan Wilkin, I think, did a 180 on that from like less than two years ago? That was beautiful. <laughs> that was. It's quite the pivot. Yeah, there's, there's a tweet from November 14th, 2017. I don't like to make predictions about what will happen in coaching stuff because things change and deals come together and fall apart very quick. Very good to honor your Big J handbook. However, A&M absolutely should put a big money in front of Jimbo. It would be a perfect hire. And then wrote a column, I guess this is today. It was obvious to me that Texas A&M's contact in Jimbo Fisher is the worst in college football. I had identified six others from this year's salary report that are also very bad. I mean, it's just like me and Joe Burrow. Yeah, things change. Yes, but you didn't. You don't go back and say, "I knew Joe Burrow was going to be good the entire time." No, you're right about that. I, I will not go back and do that. You can change your opinion of new information. That's called being a normal human being. But like being like, "I knew this was a bad deal." Yeah, it would have been <laughs> far better if Dan Wolfen had said two years ago, "I thought this was a really good idea." Looking at the numbers now, it's a really bad deal for Texas A&M. That would have I don't been know that it's a really bad it. deal for them, though. We're only well, no, at the year, end of next what, year. Two of this? Yeah. At the it's end of next year, they're not winning. People become. If they don't win 10 games next year, it's a bad deal. Not if they win a national championship two years after that. It's not. Well, it's, it feels like the pressure is going to start. I mean, I know he's not going anywhere because they got to pay him 50 some odd million dollars or whatever, but it, it just feels like it'll start souring. That it's going to become a hardball deal where it's like, yeah, you're not yeah. realistically firing him, but you're going to spend the next two and a half years complaining about it. That's a that's kind a very of what good that's going to be. Yeah, I like that. Kirby's making six point seven million. His buyout is a little north of twenty four million. Gus is making six point eight million. His buyout at this point is $27,050,000. That is as of December 1st of this year. Will Muschamp. How about this deal for Muschamp? You remember everybody's been kind of talking about, oh, Will Muschamp, hot seat, hot seat, hot seat? I think the numbers have gotten so big that we've completely lost sight of what they mean. Will Muschamp's making $4.4 million a year, and his buyout in Columbia is $19.4 million. South Carolina is not firing him this year or next. Pay him it's not an $8 million, million buyout. It's a $19 million buyout. They pay him this kind of salary with that kind of buyout. Who were they bidding against when they hired him? Who was like, I have to get Will Muschamp, whatever the cost is? I bet he's been re-upped, though. Like, where did it start at? Well, okay, he's been re-upped. He had a good, his his second year was good. His year year three was bad. Again, who are you bidding against? Who is trying to hire Will Muschamp away from you? I don't disagree with you, but once you, like, isn't that just how it works? Like, you start, I mean, if you have a decent year, like year two, whatever, you get re-upped because it sours the relationship. Morehead got an extension and a raise last year. I mean, that's, that's the nature of the beast. Which, but it, it kills me. It, it just shows you that you know the guys running these athletic departments sometimes are not the shrewdest businessmen. I would agree wholeheartedly with that. Chad Morris making four million a year at Arkansas. His buyout is ten million. Here's the first 4, real travesty: one hundred sixty-seven dollars. That's a travesty. Four million dollars a year. He hasn't won a conference game yet, and he called that fake punt. I saw the McAfee fake punt. You're right. It's worse, by the way. Well, it's <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's so much kind of worse. selfless of him, right? Because I assume there's some kind of performance kicker for every SEC win, and he hasn't collected any of those yet. <laughs> That's uh, good. Chad Morris is eligible for $1.2 million in bonus money. I bet he's he collecting half of that. <laughs> he didn't collect any of it last year. He's going to be the same situation. What's the bonus for being within two scores of San Jose State? What did he collect for that? It's a bonus that goes the other way. He actually has to forfeit some of his salary for that. That would be a lot more fun. I'd like to see more of that in contracts. You have a bad loss, fork it over.
Ed Ogeron making $4 million at LSU. His buyout is $7.75 million. What a contrast. Between him that and is Morris. a relative bargain. Yeah. That whole deal was underpay him, overpay coordinators. Jeremy Pruitt making $3.8 million at Tennessee. His buyout is $9.5 million. What about Matt Luke and Joe Moorhead? We'll look at them. Plus some interesting numbers from outside the SEC when we come back with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi, on your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. Derek Mason at Vandy makes three point, well, almost $4 million. No buyout information is available. I don't know if you know this or not. There are lots of people that think they want the Vandy job, but he was made for the Vandy job. Built for it. Anchoring down, Vanderbilt. They grind every day. Hey, every I think MSU should, should uh, go after copyright infringement there. Grind is a, is a Mississippi State term. Circa Anthony Dixon. The Vandy job was skewed when he got it because of what James Franklin did, which is probably never happening in there. Wouldn't Derek Mason probably succeed somewhere else? Seems like a decent enough coach. Yeah, he's a good enough coach, yeah. Hey, Dad, Tony Allen would like a word. What What year was that? Grit and grind? Yeah, what year? What was that? 2000... The Grizzlies make their kind of initial run. My NBA infatuation started in like 2016. Yeah, it was well before that. Okay. Well, if it was not before 2009, which it wasn't, Dixon's got him beat. Rhino says it was 2011. Dixon has has the claim. Oh, because he's grinding for his state? Grinding for his state, 2009 Kentucky. Matt Luke makes $3.1 million per year. He has a bonus structure that could potentially pay him up to an additional $3,050,000. Which is the biggest on this list. It is, but that also is probably based on like winning an SEC championship, getting in the college football playoff, winning a national championship, etc. It is, I'm just saying. And it really makes sense money. if if you're going to pay a guy at the bottom end of the league, then give him top end of the league bonus structure. Hmm. That's interesting. If you were an AD, what weird cle- like, uh, clauses would you put in the contract and incentives? I think I'd pay my guy $60,000 more to refrain from using cliches. <laughs> I, think... I swear to God, if I hear one game at a time out of your mouth, that's it. You don't get that money. You don't get that money. That's $50,000 just to not use cliches. Um, By the way, Matt Luke collected on $250,000 in bonus money last year. His buyout is not available. I assume that's because um, his contract primarily is done through the foundation. Yeah, same with State. Yeah, same thing with Mississippi State. Joe Moorhead, $3,050,000. I believe the way the contract is worded is he gets a $100,000 bonus in each of the next three seasons. Mm-hmm. He is eligible for $1.35 million in bonus money. Last year, he collected 75000 in bonus money. No buyout information available. wonder what the seventy five k was for. Bowl game? Uh, bowl game is probably it. Either that or APR. That's possible, too. Maybe it was 25000 for APR, 50000 for a whatever yeah. bowl game. Yeah, possible. Um, Barry Oda makes $3.05 million. Same thing as uh, Joe Moorhead. You want to get him out of Missouri? You can do so on the cheap. only costs you a million bucks. Seems like an undervalued deal there. Uh, highest paid coach in all of college football is Dabo Sweeney. Signed a new year. Did you guys, did we miss this? He signed a 10-year, $93 million extension after winning the national championship last year. Dabo makes $9,255,000, is eligible for a million and a quarter, a million and an eighth, I guess, 1.125 in bonus money, and his buyout is $50 million. And will allegedly change professions if college kids get paid. Yeah. All shucks. Here's my question. He's eligible for $1.125 million in bonus. He collected $1.075 last year. What did he miss? 
Where did he not get the 50K? APR? It's, it's got to be something like that, right? What could he have be. done? What could he have missed on the field that he couldn't have collected on? Yeah. He was undefeated in national champions. I mean, it was ACC regular season title, ACC championship game, college football playoff, and then national You have to beat it's South Carolina to... by 75 points to get that last 50K. You got to crush them. Some of these, I mean, some of these are just numbers running together, but let's go to some of the non Power Five numbers. Dana Holgerson, who left West Virginia, is making $3.7 million at Houston and has a $13 million buyout. Is Tillman Fertitta. Mike Norvell at Memphis, $2.66 million. He can collect up to $775,000 in bonuses. And if you want to steal him out of Memphis, it will cost you $6,748,000. That's a big buyout. Yeah. I mean, it's not $50 million, but it's Memphis, not Clemson. Yeah. Both Tigers. How about the, com- how about the commitment that UAB has made to Bill Clark? He's making a million four fifty. He can collect up to a million and change in bonuses, and he's got a seven million dollar buyout. That buyout is surprisingly high. That was that was the two way street. See, to me, that's a fairly negotiated contract. UAB says to to Bill Clark, "We're going to pay you more than we really can afford to pay you, but we're going to pay you." But we want you to stay. And so if you decide to leave, which we know you're going to be attractive to other schools, it's going to cost them to come get you. <coughs> to me, that's a really fair contract. I mean, don't you think, is there any part of that that's like, hey, you know, sorry about that whole nuking and unnuking your program thing? I'm sure. UAB couldn't have paid that if they had wanted to three or four years ago. Jay Hobson at Southern Miss makes $500,000. He is eligible for up to $895,000 in bonus money. Last year, he collected $15,000 in bonuses. And Jay Hobson's buyout at Southern Miss is $1,083,000. He's up for $800,000 in bonuses and collected $15,000? You sure it's not missing a zero? I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, they didn't, they didn't go, go to a bowl, bowl game, game last year. I guess that's fair, but what the... Billy Napier? He collected 1% of his bonuses? Yeah. Billy Napier makes 875000 at Louisiana Lafayette. Whew. Same conference, 375000 more than Jay Hobson's making at Southern Miss. Without knowing what it is at Ole Miss, but I know that Shoup makes four hundred k. I would imagine Rodriguez and McIntyre both make more than Hobson does. So you're talking about two coordinators making more than the head yeah, coach. Yeah, both of them make they, they over a million. They both make seven figures. Yeah, okay then, yeah. You talk about the difference between the, the, the Southern and, and the two SEC schools. Billy Napier's buyout is $3 million, by the way. Somebody's paying that this fall. Or this uh, this this winter, I should say. Mike Leach's buyout is four point nine million. You think Jerry Jones would have trouble stroking a check to Oklahoma for twenty one million? He's that is Lincoln Riley's buyout. He's already got it made out and signed. He's just waiting to put a date on there. Jeff Brom, think about what Purdue did. Okay, Louisville made the big run at Jeff Brom last year, right? Purdue redid his contract. He is making $6.6 million and has a $27,650,000 buyout. And this is an Jeff instance Rom- where they were Jeff bidding Rom's against somebody. Jeff the new somebody. Kirk Ferentz. He's the they, new they Kirk They were Ferentz. bidding against somebody. Louisville was going to take him. They had to, they, they had to make this move, but man... They came back with an offer. They were talking about the offer you can't refuse, the godfather offer. This is it. Purdue is paying their coach $6.6 million a year. Makes more than Lincoln Riley. That's insane. (laughs) Say that out loud again. Jeff Braum makes more than Lincoln Riley. And has a bigger buyout. Has a bigger buyout. 
Purdue wants to get rid of him, that's fine. Write us a check. Write him for a check for twenty-seven million. Somebody wants to take him away, that's fine. Write us a check for twenty-seven million. That's insane. What's Purdue's record this year, by the way? What are they four and three? They're not good. Whew. I mean, they're two and five. The the bonus opportunities in these contracts, and some of them I mean, are e- dumb. All right, like some of them just like win a conference game, which for you know Chad Morris would be a fantastic thing. But some of them, some of them are just here's an opportunity to pay you fifty thousand dollars that we really don't. We know you're going to. Yeah, that's how Hugh Freeze's contract at Ole Miss was originally structured. I'll be honest with you. And I don't really think in the world we're in until something changes dramatically with television revenue or getting there. But if I were an athletics director and had the ability to press a reset button, I would make contracts so incredibly incentive laden where I would be more than happy to pay my coach big, big money. Do something like, hey, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to pay you a base salary of $500,000, which is a good living by most, almost all standards. $500,000 a year. You win a non-conference game, $250,000 bonus. Don't care if they're at the uh, you know, top of the Power Five or the bottom of the group of five. You win a conference game, $500,000 bonus. Be thrilled to pay it. Sports Talk Mississippi, Renaissance Bank Studio. Junction in the Grove and to the top. Start yourself. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Will East in now for Michael Borky. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team and check in with Cole Kubelik from the SEC Network and ESPN college football analyst there and also co-host of Three Man Front on WJOX in Birmingham. Cole, you were in Oxford on on Saturday night. You, You and I had talked a couple of weeks earlier about quarterback play, uh, I guess, when Ole Miss was playing uh, against Vanderbilt. And, and you said to me you thought because of the running ability that maybe John Rice Plumley was the way to go. With a big, bigger sample size out there, what, what do you think? What, what direction should Ole Miss be going to get the most positive results from the quarterback spot? Well, if he's healthy, I think he needs to be John Rice Plumley, And, you know, he, he's, to me – they're, they're, he's a dynamic option, and he's a guy that's very difficult to defend. And I think when you have to design a plan to defend him, it changes the way you defend everything else. And you know, there, there are a lot of people, Richard, that you know during that game, after that game, have, have said to me that he's not a good enough passer, he's not accurate enough, he's not consistent enough. How, how do you know that? How do we know? I, I don't feel like he's been given a real opportunity to show what kind of passer he can be. I mean, go back to the end of the Vanderbilt game, I saw him hit a fade down the sideline, hit a guy right in the chest. I saw him hit a couple slants that looked pretty good. So I, I don't know if John Rice Plumley has had the opportunity to prove whether or not he can be a consistent passer in that Ole Miss offense. So when you can run the way that he can and you can force a defense to defend those quarterback runs, then you know I, I think it changes the way your offense can operate. And it opens up a lot of other things that you're going to be capable of doing. So for me, it's worth a couple of headaches, a couple of bumps in the road in the passing game. If you can find a guy that can give you dynamic big play capabilities when he's running the football. All right, counter argument. Mike Elko, I think most people would say, is a really good defensive coordinator. And based on what he had seen so far, he believed that Ole Miss wasn't going to throw it much with John Rice Plumley. And so he made life really difficult with them trying to run the ball. Is that not what Ole Miss is going to see when Kevin Steele is drawing up a game plan and Bob Shoup's drawing up a game plan and Dave Aranda's going to draw up a game plan? Yeah, but at some point, Richard, you got to allow your guy to throw him out of it. If you're giving us one on ones, I mean, Mingo can go make plays. Um, you know, this this I've seen Cooley catch some balls. So I mean, you've got a couple of guys. Tylen Knight can run past people. 
give your receivers opportunities if you're getting one-on-ones across the board to go make some plays. So, I, I mean, I, I understand that the coaches see more than I do in practice and they have a better feel for what's happening, but I just don't know how people can say John Rice Plumley can't throw the ball, not consistent throwing the ball, can't get it done through the air. We haven't really seen him have that opportunity. How many times did you see him just drop back on, on Saturday night? What, two or three, three or four maybe? I was going to say one or two. So, I mean, when you're really a guy on every, every time you want him to throw the ball, it's a sprint out or it's a play action, which, you know, those plays, keep in mind, play action pass takes a little bit longer to, time to develop. So if people are bringing pressure, which is what happened when he fumbled the football, which, by the way, I think he had three or four consecutive runs in between the tackles at that point. No idea why you get away from it there. But at, at that point in time, I mean, that's you got to give a guy an opportunity to just drop back, survey the field, and make a few throws. And if you're not going to allow him that, and you're going to interchange that for someone who can, well, then I don't think it really matters what a, what a defensive coordinator thinks you're going to do. He should know what you're doing at that point in time. It's not hard to figure out. Did the play calling on Saturday night give Ole Miss a chance to win? Yes, they were. They had the lead late in the game. I mean, like like I said, you just you you just went for. I mean, I had to go back and look, but I feel like it was like four, six, and eight between the tackles, and you run you you run that play action pass and turn it over. It's a scoop and score, and that's the difference in the game. I mean, you had other opportunities for field goals, another opportunity in the red zone. So, Ole Miss Ole Miss was in that game, and their defense kept them in that game. They deserve a lot of credit. Um, I, I thought the guys up front played played good ball. Cody and Benito Jones played good ball. Uh, you got a good presence off the edge, which is something they haven't really had a ton of this year. And uh, they were in, they had a spot to win that football game. Would you like to see them? And I, I don't want to say that they needed to take more shots because they took some shots. They missed a lot of them. You know, they, they turned it over uh, trying to take shots. But I, I think the play calling was more than sufficient to give them a chance to win the game. Uh, they made a couple mistakes late and didn't capitalize on a few opportunities that they had to put that game away. Cole Kublik on your radio, college football analyst, SEC Network, ESPN, co-host of uh, Three Man Front on Jocks in Birmingham. Let's flip things over to Starkville for a second. I, I don't know if you have watched Joe Moorhead's post-game press conference from uh, after their loss to LSU. Uh, you know, he talked about no moral victories, but he was proud of the way his team played. He thought they played hard. They're fighting energy, enthusiasm, doing it the right way. He saw better than what he saw against Tennessee. So here, here's my question, or at least the starting point for, for this conversation. Mississippi State has not consistently come out and played the way that he was talking about. At this point of the year, can a, cha- a team or, or a coach change a team's identity and get them to go out and consistently give the effort that he wants and play the pa- with the passion that they're looking for and, and all of those things or is it just, okay, you can get it for one week, but it may go away for a couple of weeks? And I guess I'm asking that is from, from your perspective as a former player. You can if you get some consistency. And and this is the part of the Mississippi State football team. And listen, Ole Miss is struggling with this, too. I mean, you're, you're talking about some of the Ole Miss offense that could potentially have eight true freshmen on the field at the same time. I mean, like, like that that is possible. Um didn't happen this past week, but it was possible in that game. That's how much youth is contributing to that football team. Multiple starters on defense, true freshmen. I think when you're Mississippi State, the biggest problem that you've had that not a lot of people discuss is continuity and consistency. You know, you spread these suspensions around, and you, you, you sort of toyed with that and tinkered with that. And This guy's going to play here, and this guy's going to play there. We're not going to play him in this game. We are going to play him in that game. Then all of a sudden you start to have to juggle quarterbacks due to injuries, and you got your center who's going in and out of games because he's banged up, and he's one of the leaders on that football team. So it's not really surprising to me that Mississippi State doesn't play the same brand of ball every week because it's not the same guys. Therefore, it's not the same leadership. It's not the same communication. It's not the same thought process. It's not the same expectations because it's all different. Football players, especially college football players, are creatures of habit. When things change, antennas go up. Question marks arise because you want to know why something's different. And when things are different, I think automatically as a football player, oftentimes you don't think they're right. Because usually, especially on offense, when you do something different, 
it doesn't usually end up working. I mean, you you do what your coach to do, and what is supposed to happen within your scheme or your system, and that's what allows you to have success. Defensively, you can freelance a little bit more, kind of get away with some things, but. You know, on offense, it, it, it's it's got to be rhythm, consistency, continuity, and flow. Defensively, you can have one guy, you know, just bust through and make a play and, and save six or seven other guys from a bust. But it's not surprising to me that that team has sort of suffered from that, Richard, because how could you form continuity? Who knows when to be a leader, when not to be a leader? I mean, it's just it, it seems like they've just had to juggle a lot of different things with a lot of different people. And I can easily see where that would hold you back from consistently putting the same type of team on the field. A minute or so left. What happens when Mississippi State goes to College Station this Saturday? Who knows? I mean, you just said it. You just said that the the team we saw against LSU didn't look like the same team against Tennessee, and I would agree with that. Um, I know I'd get Kylan Hill the damn ball um, because – what he was the first few weeks and what he's been the last few weeks has been very different. And I don't care if you got to put the guy wildcat, put him in the slot, let him return kicks, throw him the football, uh, screens, you know, uh, quick ball distribution, whatever. I would find a way to make sure that he is the guy. So I mean, Mississippi State fan on Twitter was like, well, he touched him. He was 65, 25% of the offense. I'm like, well, DeAndre Swift was 65% of Georgia's offense. So, Let's not act like 25% is, is doing a ton of work for your group, and it's not his fault, but I, I would find a way to make sure that Kylan Hill was the piece of my offense and then go from there because I think he's the best player on that team. I think he's the most dynamic player on that team. I think he's the biggest difference maker that that football team has. So I would start with him, and then hopefully your energy and other guys being able to make plays and other good things happening, you can build upon and sort of grow from that. 15 carries, 34 yards, one catch for five yards. That was the offense for uh, Kylan Hill on Saturday against LSU. Yeah, I don't know who thinks that's enough, but apparently you know, when I put my, my thoughts out on Sunday, a lot of people thought, well, he, he did this and this and this, and I was just like, okay, well, I'm not really concerned with what he did. I'm concerned with what he could have done, and he could have done a lot more. And the reason I say that is because I know what kind of football player he is. So make a way for him to be able to help you more. And that's what that, – that what my mindset would be going to College Station. Good news for, for, for Mississippi State is Texas A&M can't block anybody. Now, they got good yeah. receivers, and they got a good quarterback, but they can't block anybody. So you got a chance to create some havoc, which you did early on against LSU, and potentially be able to make some things happen. And that's the best way to get the crowd out of the game. And the best way to gain momentum early is to disrupt things up front. Cole, always appreciate your time. Good visiting with you. Thanks, Richard. Cole Kubelik, SEC Network, ESPN College Football Analyst, three-man front on Jocks in Birmingham. Interesting stuff there. We'll, we'll unpack some of what he had to say after this with you in the Renaissance Bank studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Talk Mississippi Media Production.